This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. Jason Kelly and Taylor Riggs here with you on a busy Fed day. The Fed cutting rates for the first time in a decade. What does it all mean? We have got a stellar team to break it down for us. In addition to myself, I'm not stellar. Taylor Riggs, she's stellar. Lisa Abramowitz, the co-host of Bloomberg Markets. What a treat to have her here with us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. And Ali Wolf, economist and director of economic research for Myers Research. She joins us on the phone from Costa Mesa, California. Lovely. Lisa, let me start with you. What do you see as these headlines cross? What's interesting is a huge move when you look at the expectations for full-year rate cuts. You can see that it's uh, moved dramatically to less than one and a half rate cuts by the end of this year from 2.6 rate cuts by the end of this year uh, just before the Fed put out this announcement. So clearly there had been a substantial expectation either for a 50 basis point rate cut at this meeting or for stronger language from Fed members that they were planning to cut further going forward. It does seem like uh, the Fed is being somewhat dovish here. They did cut for the first time uh, since the financial crisis, and they did talk about the global economic outlook and muted inflation pressures. So it'll be interesting to parse through here and to really understand what the market is responding to that they're not going to expect further rate cuts here. I want to bring in Ali Wolf, an economist and director of economic research at Myers Research, joining us on the phone from California. Ali, correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like the bond market was more correct than the equity markets. You're seeing a small sell-off now within the S&P 500. But I translate this over into the bond markets. The 10 and 30 is mostly unchanged. You're getting some reaction here lift up in yields in the two-year. What do you make of the market reaction? To me, this makes sense. The Fed committed, well, thank you for having me, but the Fed committed themselves to what sounded like a quarter point cut, and they made that clear with the minutes from the June meeting, and then throughout July with the different presentations and the talk, they said that it would be accommodative, but when Bullard came out and said it would maybe be 50, they're like, wait, no, 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 pull it back. And I think that they signaled it correctly, and the bond market picked up on that. Lisa, why are, are we seeing the two-year yield drift higher? We're at a 185 from the 181 before the decision. I th- and this sort of goes to the same question of why there seems to be a pairing back in the bets on how many rate cuts there'll be this mm-hmm. year. I think that it goes to this expectation that had been baked in for a 50 basis point rate cut. I mean, there have been a number of people that said that the Fed would front load some sort of easing. Um, And there wasn't necessarily a conviction behind what the Fed put out so far in terms of how many further rate cuts. That said, I don't know that there is enough in this. I'd have to parse through it, and I'm doing that right now, to know that there is really enough to back the sort of bearishness here in in bond suddenly, or not bearishness, to minimus, let's Mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. It's like a little bear, like a little cub. It's a little little stuffed animal. Jason, on our T-Live blog, which is phenomenal a major kudos to our one platform Bloomberg team that's that's putting this together someone notes that it sounds less one and done because the statement says as the committee contemplates 
the future path of the target range. Path implies that we're traveling somewhere, that we're going somewhere. And I wonder, Ellie Wolf, are we one and done? What's your take? No, I don't think we're one and done. And if you look at the dot plot again from the June meeting, it did look like the Fed is expecting to do one more cut, probably another quarter point later on this year. And so I don't think this is one and done. I don't think that we're going to solve a lot of the trade disputes and the cross currents that they're seeing in the data at a point that they should stop. Um, I don't think we, uh, earlier we saw the markets were expecting maybe 75 to 100 basis points. I don't think we should still expect that, but I think 50 basis points seems right. All right. So Lisa, let's widen the aperture a little bit. Now that we're all sort of digesting this, what's going on out in the world that is leading the Fed to make this decision. At I this thought you point. were just going to stop, but what's going out on out in the world? I feel like you know, world? I have I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yet look, you do, and yet deep inside, I am actually a philosopher. No, honestly, there is there's a question here. You know, how much is the Fed responding to domestic concerns? Yeah. How much is the Fed responding to just the fact that interest rates globally are so low that there is sort of a pressure downward on yields anyway? And they need to respond to that. That basically the neutral rate is in a different place, and I think that it's interesting. Interesting. I'd be curious to hear what Jay Powell has to say to that. I mean, how much are they looking at that? And then, of course, there's the other question here, which is, is the Fed just viewing their mandate as mollifying markets? Right. And, you know, that's the suspicion of an increasing number of fund managers. And if that's the case, you know, today they, they, they didn't really do it. I mean, they did seem to at least try to temper some of the expectations. But this isn't a slap in the face. I mean, Taylor, as you're talking about, PATH indicates that there's something going, going on in terms of further rate cuts in the future. And so, Ali, what do you see out in the world? I mean, sort of posing the same question to you, and I think Lisa framed it really nicely. How much of this is domestic? How much of this is a lower rate? And in some cases cases, negative yielding world out there that is pushing the Fed to act in this way. Well, and if you put the pros and cons of the domestic economy into columns, you look at what's going really strong, and that's going to be a lot of those consumer indicators. 70% of the economy is still showing growth. We're still seeing positive trends on the labor side. But if you step back and you start to say, what's going on with business spending? What's going on with business confidence? What is going on with geopolitics? And we always try to talk about what kind of shock could happen to the economy and we're already facing that shock and that's a trade war and the trade war is slowing manufacturing which yes isn't as big of a part of the u.s economy but when you have that slowing you have the housing market slowing there are a couple factors to me that still shows domestically they're they're reacting to that and they're reacting to global trends as well Ali, we're seeing uh, break-evens on the five-year rise a little bit. We were at a 158. We're now climbing our way up exactly at 2 p.m. to a 160. Do we need to rethink our inflation target of 2%? I'm so glad you brought that up. If I do think we need to rethink the inflation. And the Fed switched to the PCE, the personal consumption expenditures, in the year 2000. And we haven't changed the way that we're measuring that since that year And yet the economy looks different. We have more globalization than ever. We have Amazon. And there's even that Fed paper about how so many of the indicators in PCE are acyclical. And so they're maybe not rising to the extent that we've seen in the past. And I do think we need to reevaluate how are we using this inflation data? And is that 2% target the right number? All right, Lisa Bromwitz, talk to me a little bit about this balance sheet drawdown. Ending August 1, that's what we heard from the Fed today. What does that mean? to you. 
It means that we're not going to shrink the balance sheet anymore, right? So, I mean, that's basically what we're looking at. Just to give you some perspective on this, right? I mean, we have seen a pretty material contraction. Uh, the balance sheet got up to $4.5 trillion at its peak. That was back in 2015, and it, st- it stayed around there until about uh, the beginning of 2018 when they began to materially shrink it. Now it's $3.8 trillion. The idea that it's going to stay around that is uh, definitely <clears throat> somewhat supportive, although to get really geeky on you, because I'm going to do that, um, it, it depends the composition, right? Are they going to unwind some of their mortgage debt holdings? Are they going to uh, you know, keep the composition the same? And I think people are going to be looking for some indication as to uh, how they are going to maintain this. And that'll be one of the questions that Jay Powell may be uh, given if people, if people get there into the nitty gritty. Ali, let me get your final thoughts here. What's the one thing you need to hear from Jay Powell in 20 minutes? We want to understand really their guidance on cut going forward. We have only raised rates nine times since 2015. And for context, from 2004 to 2006, we raised them 17 times. Every cut that they do needs to be well thought out. It needs to be backed by data and it needs to be deliberate. Uh, This first cut brings us closer to that zero low round. I want to see, are we at two and done? And are they going to wait and see on the rest of the data? All right, Lisa, your final thought. What are you thinking about as you head back to your own Bloomberg terminal and out of our lovely studio? What are you going to be thinking about in anticipation of hearing Jay Powell in roughly 18 minutes? I want to hear how much the trade war is actually factoring in. I want to know if there's a trade deal or not a trade deal, how much that affects, how much they're going to cut rates. I would just notice as well that three-month 10-year yield curve has now re-back inverted. We're down now negative four basis points. We were positive right after the meeting to a positive two. This is as the two-year is rising and the 30-year is falling, yields down. All right. We're going to keep an eye on all of these moving parts. More analysis coming your way. Our thanks to Lisa Bromowitz, co-host of Bloomberg Markets, superstar here at Bloomberg Radio. She was in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. And Ali Wolf, economist and director of economic research from Myers Research. So grateful to you for joining us from Costa Mesa, California. The Brilliant, brilliant programming and song choice by our, by our own Paul Brennan. We knew he was talented, but that is Whole some new level. next uh, level. Next level. All right. Ira Jersey, that's one of the voices you hear laughing here in the studio with us. He is chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. He's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. And Jeffrey Cleveland, chief economist for Peyton and Regal. He joins us on the phone from Los Angeles. We got an East Coast, West Coast gang going here to break it down. Jeffrey, I want to start with you. Your first reaction now we've had roughly 15 minutes, 16 minutes to digest all of this. What'd you make of what we heard from the Fed so far? Well, more or well, you know what I have to say? I went back, I looked at the FOMC statement from September 29th. 1998. I don't know where you were at that point, but I read that I, statement. I, I have some nostalgia for that statement. It's a lot shorter. <laughs> it's a lot more to the point. You know, the Fed said that they cut rates that day to cushion the effects of you know, foreign economic weakness and tight financial conditions in the U.S. Doesn't really apply, you know, on the domestic side here today. We, we don't have tight financial conditions, but we do have some foreign economic weakness. But I wish we had a much shorter statement. I, I think, you know, Taking in what we did see today, though, I don't see – the biggest thing is we don't see any hints 
this is the start of a full-on easing cycle. Mm. We do think this is some closer to 98 in terms of cushioning the, the economy from some of the, the risks that are out there, but not the start of uh, you know, some, some deep cutting cycle. So, Ira, then jump in here because I'm hearing mixed opinions. Some people saying one and done, other people going through the statement and saying that the Fed is looking at their Fed funds path, and the path means that we are traveling somewhere. So, are we one and done, or is this the beginning now of an easing cycle? Well, I I agree. I think they kept about as much optionality as they could. So, we still don't know exactly what they're going to do. I would be shocked if they didn't cut at least one more time. And I think a, a, a little indication of that is something that I think market participants like myself were kind of 50-50 on, and that was ending quantitative tightening. So they're not going to be letting their portfolio run off at all over the next two months. It's only two months early. It's really not that big of a deal uh, in the grand scheme of things. But I think that is a signal that they're more likely to be dovish than hawkish in in the future. Why are we not doing more. So I, sorry, let me gather my thoughts. I was speaking with Gary Schilling, who talks about deflation. If we are worried about inflation, cutting won't help, but a QE would. Why aren't we doing that instead? Well, I'm not sure a QE would. I think in reality, what, what's ironic is that what we need is a bigger financial reform in order to do that. What would get inflation going? Well, that's making money truly easier. And what's happened is over time, at least in my opinion, is that with Basel three regulations, with banks having to be more credit, uh, only lend to basically good credits, Basically, money's not flowing the way that it used to. So so cutting interest rates is actually not going to help as much as it has in, in the past, but it's really the only option available to the Fed, right? So the, the only other thing that the Fed could really do is change the regulatory structure, which politically would probably be very hard. Jeffrey, I want to go down a level on something you mentioned a few minutes ago, which is essentially the rest of the world. What is it specifically that you see and that Jay Powell and his colleagues see in the rest of the world that is underneath this decision? Well, I think you look around at Europe last week, the leading indicators for, you know, say, German economic activity, the IFO index in particular, pointing towards weaker German growth uh, in the months ahead. I think that, and that situation has continued to deteriorate over the course of the year. So I think that's looming out there. Globally, uh, when you look at it, the, the global manufacturing PMI uh, being below 50 now for two or three of the last, uh, you know, two or three of the last two or three months. So you have that weakness looming, and uh, the the worry about what would the knock-on effects be back to the, to the U.S. So I think that's really the story. It's a so it is a preemptive strike. It is a cushioning. Uh, my bias, though, i got to tell you, is yes, on the trade and manufacturing side in Europe and globally, we do see weakness, without a doubt. But on the domestic side, on the services side, uh, even in Europe, we, we see an improvement. So it's not like we can sit here and just uh, write off the global economy. It's possible, it's very likely, I think, the Fed cut here, the ECB is going to be very aggressive. And right as they do this, uh, U.S. and global activity pick up a bit. And that is going to be a really interesting situation to, uh, for the markets to react to. And I think that's one of the reasons why we, why the Fed has to be careful here, because you know, let's say they cut now and they cut again in September, then then you get this turnaround in in global manufacturing or at least a stabilization, then they can be done, right? So this is the classic you know 1998 insurance cut type of scenario that we're talking about here. So 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 I think for for tre- the Treasury market and front end rates, it means that we might price out another you know basically two cuts that were. Pre- priced into the market, and we could ultimately price those out. So you could see some pretty big shifts in the front end of the yield curve because of this. 
Jeffrey, if some of the biggest concerns are slowdown in business spending, uncertainty over confidence, CapEx spending, does lowering the Fed funds rate by 25 basis points lower my cost of capital? What am I actually achieving by this? 25 basis points does not move the needle much, Taylor. I, I don't I don't see that either for business investment or for inflation, you know, as, as you were asking about earlier. We've had low rates for a long time. We had quantitative easing for the better part of a decade, and we have inflation, you know, right around 2%. So I, I'm not optimistic that little tinkering around the edges will have a, a big impact. It does affect market psychology and, of course, what's priced in to rates, but uh, – yeah, like I said, I think we are seeing signs of a pickup in activity. Even on business investment, I'm somewhat hopeful. I think housing will pick up in the second half. The consumer looks really good. So U.S. GDP, I think, is shaping up to surprise many uh, in the second half of the year. And as Iris said, if we just get a stabilization in some of the global data, which we'll get a you know, first little hint at tomorrow with all the global PMIs dropping, right. uh, you know, that could really set a, a different tone for the, for the market. Well, Jeffrey, as you allude to psychology, part of the psychology is very much driven from the White House these days, especially as it relates to the Fed decision making. And certainly there's been so much uh, rhetoric around this. Does this serve to at least calm that? We obviously never know what's going to come out of the president's Twitter account. Uh, That would be a fool's errand to say the least. But does this help at least stabilize, I guess, the the rhetorical side? Well, I think he was demanding a bigger rate cut. So I don't know if this will suffice uh, the the occupant of 600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, They did in QT so early, in fact. So that's that's helpful. I mean, I, to, if I was advising the president, I would say, hey, forget about the Fed so much. Focus on the economic backdrop, and and that actually looks pretty good. I mean, we're seeing continued growth in, in employment. We're seeing wage gains. Uh, you know, th- that's where the, the, the positive message should be focused rather than just uh, beating up on the Fed because the reality, as I said earlier, is tinkering 25 bips right. even from here isn't going to accomplish I wonder if the lot. Fed, if the president's going to call out the two dissenters in the Fed who didn't want to cut today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I what, write... did you, what did you make of that? Of the so, well, we, we knew that Esther George and yeah. Rosengren were hawks. We knew that they didn't want to cut because they didn't think the data. I mean, they, they said as much within the last two weeks. So yeah. it, really not a huge surprise. I, I thought maybe only one of them would dissent, but it's, it's not a major shock. But it does make the statement incrementally less dovish than it might have been had the whole committee been on board with, uh, with, with this one cut. You talked about some looking at some big moves in the bond market. You're seeing a decent rally on the long end. We're down mm-hmm. by five basis points on the 10 and 30. What that means is a three-month tenure has now gone back into being inverted by negative five basis points, the biggest yep. inversion we've seen in a week. Is that the intention? Well, so no. I, I mean, the, remember, the Fed doesn't control the tenure, right? So the, the market controls the tenure, but on the expectation that maybe the Fed is not as dovish as they had hoped and that this you know, one cut, which wasn't particularly dovish, is not going to help inflation and inflation expectations go up much. And that's kind of what you've seen here is you have not seen the type of increase in inflation expectations that you might if this was the beginning of a proper easing cycle and the market psychology is not on board with that quite yet. All right. We are about five or so minutes away, maybe a little more from hearing directly from 
Fed Chairman Jay Powell. He'll be speaking to reporters down in Washington, D.C. We'll bring you that live. In the meantime, we're speaking with Ira Jersey. He is Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, as well as Jeffrey Cleveland. He is Chief Economist out at Payton and Regal in Los Angeles. So, Jeffrey, you could ask Jay Powell one question in the next few minutes. What would it be? I, I want to know more about this uh, muted inflation story. I mean, when we look at inflation, and we looked yesterday, you know, at the core PCE data, the month-to-month change in core PCE was the, I think, was the fourth uh, strongest month-to-month increase of this cycle. So we're we're actually seeing some signs of firming uh, of inflation, and in fact, and core PCE, if you look at the major core measures. It's the only one that's really below 2%. So I personally think the Fed is making a lot out of this low inflation story, this weak inflation story. And I think inflation is going to firm up over the, the balance of the year. So if, that, if they're you know, building a case for easing on, based on inflation, I, and I think they would be changing their tune uh, pretty soon. So I, I want to dig more into that. Ira, you are a rates strategist, but talk to me about the dollar. We're looking at dollar strength. Up one-tenth of 1%, nothing to get crazy about, but dollar strength nonetheless, which in my economics textbook, if I can remember correctly, when you cut, generally the dollar weakens. Why dollar strength? Uh, because, they, uh, they, again, this it goes to the path dependency, right? What does the, what was the market expecting? So it's not the actual cut that matters, right? It never was. It's what does the market and what does the signaling of this cut mean for the future? And basically this isn't as dovish maybe as the market was anticipating and therefore the dollar gets a little bit stronger because other central banks are going to be just as easy, if not easier, than the Fed is. Jeffrey, you know, you mentioned some of the data we're going to see tomorrow. Also, Jobs Day on Friday. How are you thinking about that data and how it may play into the Fed's next decision? Well, the you know, to follow up on uh, Ira's comment there on the, the dollar, what we think is most important for the dollar might not be the Fed. It, it's, it's more of the, the data we'll see tomorrow, the global economic backdrop. Yeah. The last few years, when the global economy has been doing well or accelerating, the dollar has tended to weaken and, and vice versa. So the global slowdown that we've seen has, has been one of the reasons it pushed up the, the, the value of the dollar, all else being equal. The, the other thing is, you know, jobs matter now, I think, to, to a great degree. You know, they always did. It's, it's my favorite monthly release for real-time economic indication. But uh, they, there's a statement, you know, as the statement says, they're going to be monitoring all incoming information. Yeah for the impact on the economic outlook. So they've sort of set the stage to back to this sort of data-dependent uh, focus that they've had for, for quite some time. So I, I do think it matters. We, we think the employment situation is in, in, you know, in great shape, though. Right. So, yeah. All right. Well, we shall see. Really appreciate the time. Jeffrey Cleveland, chief economist for Payton and Regal. He joined us on the phone from Los Angeles. And Ira Jersey, chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. He was here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Thank you both so much. All right. Well, it is Fed Day. Taylor, what's your big takeaway so You know, Jason, we are talking about some dollar strength because that's been in the political environment. You and I had a great conversation on... Great story in the magazine this week about that. Bloomberg Business Week about, you know, Jay Powell sort of punting the dollar strength, the dollar weakness story back to the Treasury uh, because they, of course, do not target any specific um, dollar peg, so to speak. And John Sylvia, uh, used to be chief economist at Wells Fargo, kind of wrote in a very smart note that when the 
Fed cuts, it means that growth here is going to go gangbusters. You're going to see good, strong growth in the U.S., and that means capital comes back in, uh, flooding from foreign investors, pushing the dollar stronger. That, again, could be another reason why we're starting to see some dollar strength despite uh, some of the easing that we're looking at. Well, and you do wonder whether Fed Chair Jay Powell is going to address the dollar. As you say, there's been a lot of punting to the Treasury. There was punting last week uh, from the his European counterparts. and But we have seen, as you alluded to, and there is a good story by Katie Greifeld in the magazine about this, a lot of mixed signals, to say the least, from Washington, depending on what the president says, depending on what Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says, and what Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, says on any well, given day. You know, and I want to bring in uh, Chris Rucky over at MUFG wrote a very funny note. He said, kudos to the Trump economics team for getting the president's view across to Fed officials to act on it. Wow. So clearly, again, he doesn't think inflation or unemployment situation in the U.S. poses a danger. He's basically saying, uh, I guess we're cutting because the president wanted it. This is an audience of one sort of Mm -hmm. situation. And it obviously, and this has come up in several of our conversations, has come down a lot to the markets. And it, mm-hmm. it does feel like we are seeing the Fed react at least a little bit in uh, of late to what's going on in the markets. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Jason Kelly and Taylor Riggs here with you, making sense of everything we're hearing from Washington today. So let's wrap up uh, by going to some experts, wrap up at least the Fed portion of this fine program that we're putting on for you today with Alex Harris, bond reporter for Bloomberg. She's here in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. And Steve Blitz, chief U.S. economist for T.S. Lombard. He joins us on the phone from New York City. Taylor gave me a look like, oh, are we going to be done after this? Because I'm going to go get some snacks. We're just getting started. All right, Steve, I want to start with you because every Fed day, especially now that we hear from Jay Powell in a press conference after every meeting, we get the decision, we sort of parse that, and then we get what he says, and that tends to be what really moves the market to and fro, a lot of to and fro today. What did you hear from the chairman? Well, what I heard um, was actually a very interesting press conference. Obviously, what I, what I heard is that he's trying to walk back a little bit of the uh, idea that this is the start of an easing cycle, uh, which, of course, he has to say, right? Because if you think about it, if he said, well, we're on the start of an easing cycle, then why didn't you ease more? Because it means that the economy is weakening and, and all that kind of stuff. So... Uh, you know, chairman, Fed chairman never say the glass is half full when it comes to the economy. So, um, and he got two dissenters, so he couldn't do more than 25. But here's what I think going from the conference to the statement um, is very interesting, and I think a sea change. Um, the sea change is that when he listed the reasons for why they put this cut in, they talked about global factors first and muted inflation pressures second. This opens up and changes the range of possibilities of the reaction function for this Fed and Feds going forward. Uh, And this goes back to the paper given in June about the globalization and the global impact of Federal Reserve policy 
on global rates on the dollar and hence on the U.S. economy as well. So I think this is a major change. The second thing is I was I was so disappointed that nobody really pushed. You know, when he said that on the on the balance sheet, when he said that, well, you know, it's just being consistent. Well, that's an admission that QT was tightening policy. Right. Right. So, you know, that's a it's not only no longer paint dry, it's a mission that it, it is. The second thing is, earlier in the year, an internal study, it was in the minutes, said that if they buy inside of three years, they'll steepen the curve. And um, if they, in the minutes, they, I mean, in the statement, they basically said they're going to buy to match the maturity, treasury maturities. I'm in, assuming it means the treasuries they currently hold, of which 60% is inside of five years, and that puts a slight steepening bias, which brings me to my third and last point, because I know you have Alex there, is that the questions that were coming were, when are you done? Right. And I think these are fair questions. And I think the answer to that question, the way we're answering it uh, here, is they're done when they get the curve positive. And they get the curve from three months out to 10 years consistently into a positive slope, they're done. And if, the, if, if, if what they're doing on the balance sheet plus just the, the 25 is just confirmation and they continue to get good and strong economic domestic data between now and September, they'll have right. a positive curve. Well, so, Steve, I mean, you mentioned the positive curve. I want to bring in Alex Harris here. The three-month tenure has re-inverted back into negative territory. We're now down negative six basis points. Alex, walk me through the rationale of the bond price reaction, which is yield curve flattening. Well, I think if, you know, this isn't the, he, he said, it's not the start of a long cutting cycle. So now that's forced a complete reprice. And I think a big washout of a lot of these we're going to be cutting a lot kind of trades. So I think that's what you're seeing. I mean, look at the twos tens curve. I mean, that was when last, before I came into the studio was around 13 basis points. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really moved because now it's a rethink for the front end of the curve as to what's going to be happening here. You know, I want to think about some of the things that Steve said, because I think he made some very excellent points. Um, The global factors being first in the statement and also coming up in the press conference is big, but I think it comes back to Mario Draghi, and I think we've talked about it in the studio, Jason, that the ECB has their foot on the throat of the Fed and other global central banks. And so everyone now has to react off of what the Europeans are doing here. And And I think that's a big thing. You know, then it also begs the question, where does the data come in? Are we even really data dependent or because global growth or because the global factors are so key here? And I'm not saying global growth data like economic data we're seeing out of Europe and other places. I'm talking about anything that the ECB global says. Global market data, everything. And everything. whatever Mario global market Draghi's, sentiment to exactly. some extent. Yeah. So, so now does data go back to being on the back burner in the U.S. if they're like, well, we're not really worried about it to begin with, so why are we going to watch it closely? And I think the second thing the Fed is going to be watching now is the headline risk from trade. Even though the market is sort of, you know, it, it goes in one ear and out the other, uh, you know, 
the Fed's going to be watching it. And these are the things they're going to be paying attention to, I think, more than the economic data, as long as the consumer's on, sta- you know, on solid footing. All right, Steve, 30 seconds, last word to you. What do you expect to hear next uh, from the Fed? Are we going to get a clarity speech that's going to put all this in perspective? Are we waiting till Jackson Hole? What do you think? I think we're probably going to wait till Jackson Hole to get something more prevalent. Uh, but uh, just building a little bit on what Alex said, if the ECB is forcing policy, which I don't necessarily believe it's true, does it force policy when it runs counter to what's best for what's going on for the domestic economy? Right. No, it's a and great it's a great point, and I do think we saw a big dichotomy there in Chair Powell today. Steve Blitz, thank you so much, Chief U.S. Economist for T.S. Lombard, Alex Harris, Bond Reporter for Bloomberg. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. Yeah, how about you let me drive? Oh no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, it is time for the drive to close. Jason Kelly and sort of a perturbed Taylor Riggs here <laughs> in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. I think we were all thrown off a little bit by this Fed decision. Yeah, you know, we knew 25 basis point cut was priced into the market. Uh, and then we heard from Jay Powell, and I'm getting a lot of comments on Twitter. Next time, he needs Clarita to sit with him to help communicate. Yeah. He, he's sort of giving us some mixed messages. Fortunately, we have an amazing guest here to help clarify what the heck is going on within the equity market. He's going to tell us what it all means. Randy Watts here with us, Executive Vice President, Chief Investment Strategist at William O'Neill and Company in New York. He's here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Randy, great to have you back with us. Thanks for having me back. And what an exciting day, to say the least, as Taylor just so nicely laid out. So what do you make of what we heard initially in the statement and then what we heard from Chair Powell because the market couldn't quite figure it out and maybe still can't. So help us. Well, I think obviously uh, uh, Chairman Powell's not phenomenal at news conferences. I think that's one thing we we know t- coming Stocks away from this. Stocks pretty much go down almost every time. Mm-hmm. I think, except for one or two meetings, they have gone down. Um, but he did kind of give the market what it wanted in terms of the actual cut, right? right. About 82% of uh, people were expecting uh, a rate cut, and that's what you got. I think he didn't want to commit to a extended easing cycle, because I think the Fed really wants to be data-dependent going forward here. But they did talk about risk to the downside in their statement, so I don't think it's uh, an absolute zero that we're not going to get more rate cuts. I just think the Fed wants to see how the economy plays out uh, before they commit to that. We're in the middle of earnings, and I want to get into some of the individual stocks that you're looking at. Quickly, though, walk me through the the balance sheet runoff ending that. Is that sort of an admission that slowing down QE really was QT? Uh, I think, well, yes. I mean, by definition, if you if you uh, start to run off the balance sheet, you are tightening. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. If, you, if you've been reinvesting the proceeds of those bonds and you stop doing that, that doesn't affect a tightening. So the Fed has really gotten easier in two dimensions today, right? 
They took, they took the Fed funds rate down, and they told you on August 1st, so starting tomorrow, they're not going to be running off the balance sheet. So they're definitely easier, and I just think they're going to be more data dependent. I think one thing to remember is it usually takes you know, 6 to 12 months for a, for a Fed cut to play through the entire economy. So I think what this is setting you up for is maybe uh, uh, this can help, start to help at the end of the year looking into next year. Right. So one of the things that did come through pretty loud and clear, I think we can all agree, is that Jay Powell essentially said, domestically, we're doing okay to good, you know, maybe even a little better than good. Globally, and rest of world, as they say, not so great. So as you look at that, what do you do as an investor? Well, I would say two two things on that. The first is, Inside the U.S., it's actually a mixed message. Okay. The consumer's doing very well. As we saw in the last GDP print, consumer spending up, going well. Business investment, not good, shrinking. Why is that? Because I think a lot of uh, C-level executives are worried about making corporate allocation decisions right now when they don't know the rules of trade they're going to be operating under. And that is kind of freezing some of this capital spending. I think if we could get more clarity on that, then we could have a situation where both sides of the economy are doing well. Uh, The second point is that uh, internationally things have slowed. If you look at earnings season so far, uh, this earnings season, companies that are more internationally focused are not doing as well as companies that are more domestically focused. Well, and you're seeing that today. The Russell 2000, it's down, but it's down much less than the S&P 500. The Russell, of course, some of those small cap domestic focus stocks. Talk to me about individual sectors. I was so uh, fascinated. Utilities are the third worst performer, even though the 10 years down 63 basis points alone this year. Why aren't we seeing some of the traditional correlations like we used to? Uh, I think I think there's a, a couple of reasons. One, utilities have been massive outperformers in, over the last 52 weeks, and we think that's starting to get a little bit played out in, in, in terms of that whole rate trade. Uh, in terms of sectors, you know, we went into this earnings season expecting about half the market to ha- have up earnings, about half the market to have down earnings. Uh, that's kind of playing out, right? Materials, tech, and we expect energy are going to kind of have have weaker earnings seasons and things like financials. Communications, healthcare, real estate, and utilities do, doing better. Talk to me about healthcare a little bit because you know we've seen some deal making certainly on the pharma side this week. You know what do you expect to see there, especially with the political backdrop that we have? Healthcare a huge issue as we go into twenty twenty. We've got political you know debates with Democratic debates last night uh, and tonight. How do you see that sector of all the sectors in the market? Healthcare is the one that's most likely to be affected by the politics over the next year. I think if it looks like we're going to get a candidate uh, nominated who is for Medicare for All, that could really hurt the sector, especially in the services space. Medicare for All would have a big impact on hospital profitability. Uh, If it looks like that's not going to happen, I think that is an area that investors could turn to for secular growth if they have some worries about the economy. So I think it's likely to be kind of a volatile sector over the next year. You started out the conversation saying the consumer really looks strong. Does that mean we can sort of automatically go long discretionary, consumer discretionary sectors, or do you have to sort of be an individual stock picker within that sector? You know, we think at at William O'Neill, we think it's always an individual stock game. And I think it's really looking for companies that have a strong 
growth product, a secular story, and are taking market share. Um, I want to backtrack to one of the things you said about the Russell earlier. One of the reasons the Russell is actually not selling us off as hard in this afternoon Mm -hmm. as the S&P and the NASDAQ is because it has such a big financial weighting. Mm. And financial stocks are actually doing okay this afternoon after the Fed Fed move. Even though rates are down. That's what we were talking about. Those traditional sectors... Financials should underperform when rates are falling, but they're not. It's so much is going on today. My head is still blown. And maybe one other comment on that is, you know, another thing that's interesting about the Russells, the Russell's still about 10% below its all-time high, mm-hmm. even as the S&P was hitting new highs. Right. It looks technically like it's forming a little bit of a cup and handle here. So it would be very interesting to see if small stocks, which are more domestically focused and have a bigger weighting in financials, can start doing better from here over the next year. Always such a smart conversation uh, when you come and visit. Randy Watts, Executive Vice President and Chief Investment Strategist for William O'Neill & Company. He was here with us in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.